Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcasted live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to what he just said. The Dan Scott Show and episode 28, I believe, yeah, of the uh, Grumpy Old Pod- uh, Broadcasters Podcast or Podcasters Broadcast, whatever you want to call it. I'm here. I'm Dan. Nobody else wants to be. I think we've got that all under control now. It's good to have you with us, uh, as always. WZLA in Abbeville is our radio home and, of course, wherever podcasts are found for the Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Got some good stuff lined up for you today. Big weekend, uh, a second full weekend of college baseball. You had the Reedy River rivalry take place on Saturday at Fleur Field. First baseball game they've had in downtown Greenville in 18 months, and it was a thriller with South Carolina beating Clemson in extra innings and, in fact, walked it off twice against the Tigers in the two games that were played because of weather. We also had... The second week of FCS college football, we have uh, college basketball coming down the home stretch. In fact, the Southern Conference is finished in the regular season, and the the conference tournament will be held in Asheville coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that a little bit. And Dave Glenn will be here to talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference and big picture where college athletics is concerned. I'll remind you that the uh, podcast portion of what we do is brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They are uh, located in um, Greenville on Markley Street, just down the street from Floor Field, where we're going to be spending quite a bit of time this summer, thankfully. Great pizza, uh, all kinds of other menu options, and even better people. I tell you that all the time. John and his folks have worked so hard to give you a safe dining option through the pandemic Looks like we're on the downside of it. I hope that if you haven't been there in a while, you will make your way back to visit Todaro Pizza. Also, the Sloan Street location in downtown Clemson right now still just doing pickup and delivery, but I can promise you it's worth it. Website is todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com, and you can find out more about them uh, at uh, their Facebook page as well. You can follow them on Twitter. It's good stuff. So thanks to Todaro Pizza for being the... Uh, sponsor, the presenting sponsor of the podcast. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Tom Van Hoy will join us, and we'll get ready to roll on this uh, Monday. It is uh, the uh, Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. A quick word about the Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard. You need to check out this wide-ranging menu that they have. I mean, it is just simply fantastic. But they have special events going on all throughout the week. For instance, Tuesday is bar trivia for dummies. Wednesday, 30-second music bingo. They have burger specials on both Tuesday and Wednesday. Dirty bingo on Thursday. Also, their world-famous smoked wings on Thursday only karaoke with Fred Rock on Fridays, and then on the weekends, it is all sports. High-definition televisions everywhere. If the game is on, you are going to see it. That's the Hall of Fame Sports Grill. Again, 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard. Very, very happy to have them as a sponsor here on Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast. You can check them out online at halloffamesportsgrill.com and tell them Dan Scott sent you.
Welcome back. Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast. Just getting things cranked up. Once again, welcome to those of you who are listening to us on our radio home at WZLA in Abbeville. And of course, wherever podcasts are available uh, with Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Talking about uh, WZLA in Abbeville, they had a big, big weekend. The Godfather, Benji Greason and Company, broadcasting the return of football for Erskine. And uh, since uh, first game since 1951, I believe, and they came away with a 30 to 28 win over Barton College, who hadn't played since 1950. So, hey, they, they were they were kind of <laughs> kind of filling each other out a little bit. But a a big weekend spring football, and congrats to uh, Erskine. And I know Benji and everybody were were very very excited about the opportunity to be the flagship here in WZLA for the return of Erskine College football. Tom Van Hoy is here. How are you, sir? Good, good, Dan. Glad, Dan. Glad to be back again today, as always. Yeah, it was great to uh, great to see what went on with with Erskine. Wasn't so much of a fun weekend if you were a Furman Paladin fan, uh, as you you, you, you and one. I had you and I had front row seats for a, a very very difficult Saturday. Yeah, you just never know what, what's going to happen, and uh, you know football. Uh, uh, we knew that Reese Udinski, an outstanding quarterback for VMA. I, I thought the the Furman defense. Uh, did what they needed to do, just couldn't get things going uh, too much in the offensive end. And uh, just, uh, which was a little bit surprising to me, but BMI was very good defensively. And then, as you called that, the last uh, part of the game there with when's the last time you've seen or have you ever seen what, what transpired there with the, the snap and hit the receiver going by? So, tough way to go. Furman was driving down looking for an opportunity to win. It just didn't happen far as football was concerned yeah from a basketball standpoint on the way back uh marcus mcmorris and i listened to to you and bryant lambert with the call there and, and uh, you kept saying and, and i i agreed 100 percent was a high level mid-major basketball game at jerry richardson indoor uh indoor stadium and uh wofford ends up scoring with seven seconds to go and takes a one-point victory Cap Furman from claiming the uh, SoCon regular season championship, and now the Paladins will be the three seed in this weekend's Southern Conference tournament. But uh, just listening to the ebb and flow of that game, it was like two heavyweight boxers, Tom, that were standing in the middle of the ring just landing haymakers on one another. Well, they let some people come in, which is great. I think uh, they told us 479 or so it's uh, seating uh, 3,100 and. It had a really good atmosphere, given the limited numbers. We know how that worked. Was it the first time when Wofford came in that Furman allowed the band and yes. cheerleaders in? And we we know how uh, effective that was. And uh, it was in this case as well, despite the fact that we're in 3,100. It was a very good atmosphere. And, well, I'll tell you what, the way it started, it, it just uh, was back and forth and back and forth. And it never did get to uh, a timeout. I think Wofford eventually called a timeout with like 13, 28 to play in the first half. And, uh, that's kind of set the tone a little bit. Furman got off to a good start, uh, led by eight or nine there early in, in the game. It was one-point game at halftime. And then, I tell you, uh, Wofford came out in the, in the second half. They had the basketball, and the Storm and Murphy, it's a four-point play. You go down, Furman misses. Wofford comes down, makes a basket. Furman goes down and misses. Wofford comes down to hit to three. In 65 seconds, <laughs> Wofford scored nine points, and Furman uh, calls timeout. And they're down at that point, but We've seen uh, the resiliency of this team this year and uh, able to come back and just back and forth throughout the course of the game. Big shots uh, made by those uh, on both teams and came down. Noah Gurley hits, uh, hits the three and uh, you, you, have the, you have the lead and you go down and you get the defensive stop that you wanted with uh, a shot taken by Morgan Safford along the baseline left. Goes off the back iron. He gets the offensive rebound, puts it back in. The only two points off uh, uh, second-chance points in the entire game. And then uh, Furman, seven seconds ago, brings it down. Alexander down the middle of the floor. He kicks it over to um, to Noah Gurley, who had another great night. And he had a pretty good look. Uh, you know, maybe didn't get set like you'd like to, but it, it was a good, clean, to a certain extent, clean look and just a little bit off the mark that it goes out of bounds with seven-tenths of a second to go. If it's Furman's basketball, then they have a shot underneath their own basket. But uh, as they went to the monitor, it turned out it was uh, Wofford's basketball. And Wofford won it uh, 74-73. And the Terriers knew going in they needed for uh, East Tennessee to beat UNCG. 
and that game came down to the wire right before this game began. East Tennessee had a chance at home with a last-second shot to, to win, missed it, and then North uh, uh, UNC Greensboro was able to widen it out, win by 11 in overtime. So Wofford knew that they were gonna not going to have a chance to win the championship. Furman did. Furman's either going to be the number one seed, number number three seed, and if Wofford wins and Greensboro gets the championship, sounds like a long SAT question there, Dan, but that's kind of how it played out. And it was uh, it was a really entertaining ball game to broadcast, entertaining, entertaining game to watch. And, and uh, you know, Wofford able to come out of their 10th consecutive win over Furman in Spartanburg. So the Southern Conference tournament schedule is set, and the uh, Paladins will be the number three seed and play the 8 o'clock game on Saturday night against VMI, a team that uh, you look back at it now, that one-point loss in Lexington, Virginia. If you had won that game, then Saturday's game at Wofford really wouldn't have mattered as far as, as trying to win the Southern Conference championship, but, but you didn't. So you get to play them, and lo and behold, who are you going to see most likely if you win game one? Yeah. The Wofford Terriers. <laughs> Wofford Terriers, and a year ago, Wofford had to play in that first uh, first round game, and uh, Furman had a bye, and then had to play him in the second round, and then and that uh, Wofford team won uh, on that night uh, as well, and went on to to win another game and play for the championship where they got beat uh, beat there. So, uh, yeah, and you know we talk about it every year, Dan, but I, I do believe when you look at the bottom part uh, of of the standings and where they are, hard to read. Sanford, because they only got a chance to play 11 games this year, have a new coach. And uh, Western Carolina sits in there in 4-13, and 13, but, you know, their, their last two wins have been at UNCG, 81-80. And two days prior to that, they got beat by 21 points at home to Greensboro. They turn around in their final season of the game. They beat Mercer, 85-61, and a Mercer team that I thought was pretty good. I mean, Furman goes in the game before – and win 70-60 on the road and needed a nice run to the second half to widen it out. I mean, they're sitting there in, in the ninth spot. So, uh, you know, Mercer had some impressive wins. We know the VMI was just so good at home, but with their firepower, they got five guys that can shoot threes. So, I mean, it, it is one of those years, and I think everybody always says it, as competitive as ever going to be. But I think this one this one ought to be really, really fun. Yeah, well, well, the, the true test of, of the strength of any conference is not how good you are at the top but it's how competitive you are at the bottom. And, and as you said, while Western Carolina's overall conference record is nothing to write home about, you, you look at the way they've played in the, these last two games, including the road win at UNCG, as you referenced, it, it's what makes the college basketball tournament so special, whether it's the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament. And the fact that we missed that last year because of, of the COVID pandemic, uh, it, you know, everybody talks about the financial aspect of it at the NCAA level, which was a huge hit. But just for pure enjoyment with what the tournament brings every year, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to having a college basketball tournament, even if it's in a bubble setting and even if it's not going to have the same amount of fans that you would have in a normal year, at least we have it. The only thing that I wish we had, and I think the biggest travesty of all, is the fact that when Gus Johnson moved to Fox Sports, he <laughs> could <you> <laughs> not do the college basketball tournament any longer because Gus Johnson and the NCAA basketball tournament were meant to be together. Yeah, he, he definitely got excited, particularly when he worked with Bill Rafferty, right? I mean, uh, those yep. two guys together were really, really good. In the Southern Conference last year, because of the timing, able to get their, their tournament in, Going to go back to Asheville again this year. And earlier this year, they played what um, the Maui Classic was played there. So they have uh, kind of an experience in, in terms of from protocols and things to do and how to get things done. So, so they have experience in that regard from earlier this year. And uh, with the, the changes uh, that the governor of North Carolina has made in, into attendance policies, it, it's it, – uh, including sporting events, going to, I think, at least have some opportunity for some, some fans to, to get into the arena and, and watch the game. Yeah, initially the Southern Conference ha had said at the beginning of last week they were not going to allow fans at all. And then Governor Roy Cooper at North Carolina relaxed 
some of the attendance restrictions at places, large gatherings and such. So the, the SOCOM put out a statement midweek saying they were going to uh, reevaluate the situation after Cooper's decision. And then I think on Saturday morning, they put out the statement that they were going to allow limited fans, 544 fans per session for the SOCON tournament, and all the tickets will be distributed through the individual schools. There will not be any walk-up ticket sales at the arena in downtown Asheville. So if you're a SOCON basketball fan or you're hoping to see some Southern Conference basketball in a tournament setting, you're going to have to get your tickets through a school, which means that you're probably going to have to be a donor or a season ticket holder or something (laughs) along those lines. But bottom line is there are going to be people in the stands in the arena, and there will be some kind of atmosphere there, which is good. Yeah, hopefully uh, everything will will play out, and you can and you don't know. I mean, it's been a really tough situation for Sanford as far as COVID issues and stuff, and and how that plays out if there happens to be an issue, come up with a team in the tournament, and and uh, you just kind of hoping you can get through the entire tournament. I mean, you're talking about you look at the Citadel sit sit there in five at eleven, and they're in the eighth seed. They've beaten uh, they've beaten Wofford. Uh, VMI won in overtime at, at Wofford. Chattanooga has beaten East Tennessee a couple times this year. So, I mean, it, it's really going to be interesting. And you, and you mentioned the, the, um, the financial aspects to a certain extent on the number of um, the percentage of people that go into sporting events. And I, and I know it, it, it goes on to other things in terms of businesses and so forth. But uh, j- just the fact that uh, uh, the governor made that uh, that call when he did it allowed uh, as the return of North Carolina high school football last Friday, instead of having 100 people in, it did allow uh, a bigger percentage. And uh, some of the, the matchups, the big matchups in North Carolina on Friday uh, allowed uh, more people in and in those high schools, uh, like everybody else to a certain extent, depend a lot on, uh, on ticket sales mm-hmm. and, and to, to help fund other sports and so forth. So um, good decision there to have that opportunity. And uh, unfortunately, on uh, last Friday, the weather was so bad for some of that. But there's also high school football going on in our area as well as the college ranks. You know, it's interesting. One of my best friends uh, in, in the world, a guy that I grew up with, played Little League Baseball with all the way through uh, high school, and, and, and we've remained uh, just incredibly close all of our lives. He lives in Charlotte. And, and his son plays high school football and, and uh, has a chance to go on to play college football. But this, this is how times have changed, Tom, and how, how revenue has dictated those changes. Because of the rain that, that we all had in this region on Friday, the two schools that were supposed to play that game in North Carolina on Friday postponed the game until Saturday mm-hmm. and, and moved it, moved it, to a neutral site that had field turf as opposed oh. to grass. Well, did it have a bigger stadium too? I mean, you could get more people in there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't ask that, but that would be yeah. my assumption. If they have field turf, it's probably a little bit of a bigger facility. But, man, how times have changed. You know, you, you go back a few years and, hey, I don't care if it's raining. We're playing football. You we're, play, we're fo- playing. You, you play man, football in the rain on Friday football, nights, right? Man, it's cold. It's rainy. It's all, yeah. Oh, yeah. But. <laughs> Uh, and that same thing happened here, here a little bit locally, just across state line there, when some did the same too, uh, same thing, Hendersonville and, and others. Uh, just a few of them, anyway, postponed it till Saturday, and Saturday turned out to be pretty good. I know what you guys rolled into Lexington, and, we, and, and you got, what, an inch, inch or so of snow, the field's covered with snow, and then uh, by the, the next uh, day, by the time you did the, the ball game, it was clear. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting drive up on, on Friday. We went up and spent the night because it – it was raining the entire way and raining hard, and then it, the further north we got, it began to turn into sleet, and, and then right. and and then as <laughs> as you know, but it was never it was never any colder than like thirty six degrees, so you weren't worried about the roads freezing or anything like yeah. that. But but as it as it continued to change, the further north we got, it did turn into just snow for a while, and you started to see a little bit of accumulation in, in grassy areas and. And Wade Branner, the VMI broadcaster, mm-hmm. did tell us that that uh, Foster Stadium at one point was covered in snow. But uh, the the 
the problem, I guess, for those who love a, a, a snow scene is that it quickly turned back into rain and it rained all night and it rained all morning up until about 10 o'clock. So uh, the field conditions at Foster Stadium were not very good, even though a game hadn't been played on it in about 16 months. But uh, that, that's what we were up against. Fortunately for Marcus McMorris on the sidelines, he, he came prepared yeah. for a quagmire, but uh, it, it turned out to be a relatively nice day. By the time we got into the second half, it was about 60 degrees and the sun was out. Well, I'll tell you, and, you, and as you meant, we talked about it earlier, VMI wins 14-13, Chattanooga beats Wofford 24-13. I mean, a couple of top 10 teams in, in one FCS poll anyway, and Sanford got the win, Mercer got the win as well. And, you know, the big story probably was the fact that uh, Southern Illinois beat North Dakota State. Yes. 38-14 ended a 39-game winning streak for North Dakota State. So, I mean, it, it is one of those things right now. It's been so long since you played college football that uh, you really don't know. You know, you're kind of just feeling your way right now. And and uh, some of the scores, I think, were indicative of what um, probably we can expect as we go uh, go forward. It's really a shame that ESPN uh, or Fox Sports have not picked up some of these games and, and highlighted a national FCS game of the week or so. Uh, on uh, on television during this spring season to, to give these schools and this level of football some exposure that they otherwise wouldn't get. Uh, I mean, yeah, everything's on ESPN+. Plus. We know yeah. that, but I'm talking about actually on television. It, it would have been nice had they had they done that. And, and you know, there's still time. If, if somebody wanted to pick up a game or three, they could still do it. But chances of that happening are not really good. Hey, let, let's switch gears before we go to break. Uh, and... Um, talk about the guy who has to be, I would think, the happiest guy in the city of Greenville, South Carolina. And that's Eric Jarenko, yes. who is the general manager of the <laughs> Greenville Drive. Not only do we have a definite start to the minor league baseball season for the Drive, uh, the high class A affiliate, now the Boston Red Sox, that'll be May 4th at Floor Field. But this weekend on Saturday, the first baseball game in 18 months was played at Floor Field when Clemson and South Carolina renewed the Reedy River rivalry uh, at the ballpark in the west end of downtown Greenville. South Carolina got the win in extra innings and had two walk-off wins against Clemson in the two games that were played. But to have baseball back at Floor Field for the first time in 18 months, there's for some of us anyway, Tom, that is maybe the single biggest sense of normalcy we have had in a long time. Yeah, it turned out uh, after how bad the weather was on, on Friday, it was playable on Saturday. And there have been times there at, at Fleur Field when uh, South Carolina Clemson played that it, it has been uh, the frozen tundra, so to speak. So it was a pretty good, pretty good day. And and I know lots and lots of the folks and businesses have worked extremely hard uh, during the, this pandemic. And, and But from the Greenville Drive standpoint, to lose all the games that they had last year and to try to be innovative in, in what they have done to, to uh, you know, survive and, and advance, so to speak. And I know that Eric and those, the folks out at the Greenville Drive have worked extremely hard. And, and it had to be great, uh, limited capacity, but everything they've done to try to, to get baseball back, they'll have. Uh, Michigan State coming in with uh, Maryland and North Northwestern here uh, before too lo uh, long as well to have some more games out there. And, and then, as you mentioned, uh, May 4th will be opening day as uh, the Greenville Drive get back uh, to uh, action there at Fleur Field. And, and we'll see how it did, it transpires in terms of, uh, you know, capacity and so forth. But, yeah, I'm basically glad to have baseball back. Yeah, the Big Ten uh, is coming down back-to-back -back weekends to uh, play in kind of a bubble setting. Michigan State comes every year, uh, mm -hmm. and, and but the, the weekends of uh, March 5th through 7th, this weekend coming up, and then the following weekend, the 12th through the 14th, there will be, uh, weather permitting, two games on Friday night, four games on Saturday, and two on Sunday afternoon, both weekends. So, And there will be some opportunities for fans to attend those games with the uh, restrictions being relaxed to a certain degree. So if you're looking for some college baseball and uh, you, you don't mind watching the Big Ten play, 
then you can uh, go check out some college baseball at Fluor Field at the West End. And Tom and I may be there on on Sundays. We don't know yet. The um, Big Ten playing uh, conference games only this year, so it's it's going to be a, a little bit different in terms. If you look around the country and, uh, and the number of games you can get in, and it's fifty six. Uh, it, is that still what it is? Dan yes. used to be fifty six. You can play the, at the collegiate level. I think they make it in forty four, something like like that. But just uh, you know, just the fact that you you can get back out on the field is, is a huge deal. Yeah, uh, and there are have been adjustments made at, at different levels. For instance, I know North Greenville, which plays in Division Two in Conference Carolinas, Division Two cut its games from fifty to forty. So uh, they're they're playing they're playing fewer games because of, of the pandemic, trying to cut down on travel and do some different things with the schedule. So you're only maybe in in some place for a day as opposed to two days. But um, bottom line is we got some baseball, and and to me that's the most important thing. We need to take a break and come back. On the other side, Dave Glenn will join us. Dan Scott Show and episode 28 of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast will continue in just a moment. I want to take just a moment here to tell you about my friend chiropractor Brian Dooley in Pickens Family Chiropractic in downtown Pickens, South Carolina. He's been my chiropractor. I had some issues a number of years ago and went to him. He has the most modern technology, computerized posture and spinal scans. He took care of my issues. He will take care of yours as well. He's been serving the entire family with chiropractic services since 2007. To lead your best life, you need a healthy spine. Hit a home run for your health with chiropractic care from Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. You can find more at the website, PickensFamilyChiropractic.com, or call 864-898-3300. That's 864-898-3300. You can also schedule appointments online via the Facebook page, Pickens Family Chiropractic, LLC. Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. Tell them Dan Scott sent you. Dan Scott Show continues. Good to have you with us. Thanks for hanging around. Thanks for continuing to support what we do here and on the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Tom Van Hoy is here as always. And uh, after a week away on assignment, doing things far more important than flapping his yap with Tom and I, the man is back, Dave Glenn, who is now Professor Glenn and is also, of course, still doing his thing for the athletic.com and the Subside Athletic Carolinas, founder of accsports.com, chief cook and bottle washer emeritus, I think, of that publication. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing great, Dan. Good to be with you and Tom again. Yeah, back in the day, that's how you, you used to introduce you. you. You were the chief cook and bottle washer, but now I think emeritus would probably be the the uh, the way to to handle that I guess right I think you're right there was a stretch of probably two decades where I was wearing a lot of hats and uh, I'm in a different stage of my career now I don't have to wear quite as many hats and I'm kind of glad about that well it's good to have you back um, let's dive right into this because kind of a running theme for us through this college basketball season where the Atlantic Coast Conference is concerned has been how very un-ACC-like really it has been because we expect to see Duke and, and North Carolina uh, at, at the, the, the top of the league and, and in the top 10, maybe the top five of the polls. Florida State has, has kind of made that jump in, in the last uh, handful of years. And this has not been that kind of year, Dave, and, and we're two weeks away from Selection Sunday. And, and do you have any more of a clear picture of what you think the ACC's NCAA tournament rep, uh, representation is going to be? Well, it's tricky because there are two teams, still Florida State and Virginia, that I think have kind of been a cut above everybody else in this 15-team league. There are another four teams that can feel pretty good about themselves – Virginia Tech and Clemson and Louisville. And after beating FSU, North Carolina kind of earned its way this past weekend into that category. But even after those top six, if you will, Duke keeps winning and getting closer to the bubble and Georgia Tech ain't dead yet either. 
So it is continuing a theme for our conversations, Dan, where we've been reminding people on your show and otherwise, it is a down year for the ACC. There's no doubt about it, right? There, there hasn't been a year where the ACC failed to produce a one seed or a two seed in the NCAA tournament since 1990, 31 years ago. And it looks like Florida State, I guess, still has a shot. But right now that the Seminoles would be a three seed. It is true that the ACC lacks that top tier team on a national perspective, but it is also true in a year where the ACC has taken a lot of lumps uh, in the conversation nationally. It's also true that the, the league still could get eight teams, maybe even more into the big dance. And if you're a 15 team league that gets eight or nine in, that's certainly not a failure because if you get in, anything can happen as you know, a low seed Syracuse team proved for Jim Beheim a few years ago, going all the way to the final four, despite barely making the bracket. So I don't think we should just kind of draw a conclusion on the season yet, especially with six, seven, eight, or nine teams headed to March Madness. Well, Dave, I'll tell you what, that the win by North Carolina over Florida State and how it transpired down by 12 at at one point, and yet Roy Williams' 900th win becomes just the fifth all-time to do that. That's yep. coming off the loss to Marquette, and that's coming off just putting something out on social media. Hey, anybody want to play? You know, what I mean? yeah. So it's been an interesting run for North Carolina, but I mean that that one right there. I think where well, they were in one of the Joe Lenardi or somebody had him one of the first four teams out anyway. But that's a huge win for them, and, and a tough loss for Florida State. Just that one game lead on Virginia now. Yeah, Tom, and I'll tell you what, I'm glad you pointed that out because think of it this way. If the Tar Heels, and they looked dead in that game against the Seminoles at halftime, mm -hmm. uh, if the Tar Heels had not come back and beaten the Seminoles, the only win on their entire schedule over a team that we know is headed to the NCAA tournament would be Louisville. So you can't be sure of anything on Selection Sunday if you can claim only one win over a fellow March Madness team. I mean, their, their next best wins are at Duke, which may or may not make the NCAA tournament, against Syracuse, which doesn't look in a good place right now. Stanford is a bubble team. K Kentucky is not typical Kentucky, obviously. So instead of just having one really good win, the Tar Heels got their best win of the season by far mm -hmm. in comeback fashion with a freshman seven-footer named Walker Kessler who had only averaged about four points and three rebounds a game to this point in the season, looking like a future NBA first-round draft pick against the Seminoles. And, I mean, it might be an exaggeration to say the Tar Heels saved their season with that comeback against FSU. Uh, we'll see. If they stumble down the stretch here, I guarantee you that win will be the thing that keeps them on the right side of the bubble. So, they're still not a great team. They're, they're, they just don't have an elite player on a consistent basis, and you almost never say that about the Tar Heels. But as you know, all ACC votes are due, for example, you, Dan, and I could make a list that gets close to – there's 15 slots on all ACC. Mm -hmm. We could get close to listing 15 players before we list the best player for the Tar Heels, whoever you think that might be. And after 34 years of covering Carolina, I don't think there are many years where you could say that, right? And uh, the preseason play, ACC player of the year, Garrison Brooks, their senior forward, not even close to third team All-ACC. So the preseason player of the year will not be All-ACC at all. That's just another of these weird symbols of what an unusual season it has been for the ACC as a whole but also the Tar Heels in particular. And moving forward, after Florida State and UVA, I do think the Tar Heels are an intriguing team because despite not having that superstar this year, they are gaining confidence in what they're doing, and the FSU, was a big, the FSU victory was a big part of that. Dave Glenn with us as we take our look around the Atlantic Coast Conference and college basketball or college athletics at large. We do it every week with Dave. Um, we're going to talk in a minute about teams that, that definitely need to win to get in. One of those could be the Duke Blue Devils, who you referenced just a moment ago. They are playing much better basketball since Jalen Johnson was removed from the equation at Duke. 
So the, the question arises, and you can tell me whether or not, A, it's a fair question, and B, what your thought is. But knowing he was going to be one and done anyway, um, it just wasn't working. So is that a miss or a miscalculation by Coach K in recruiting this guy and bringing him into the program? Or is it something that he could not have foreseen? Well, Jalen Johnson played in a few games for the Blue Devils in a manner that made him look like an NBA lottery pick. So, I, you know, great college basketball teams don't start with Hall of Fame coaches. They start with All-America caliber talent. And in modern college basketball, that sometimes includes those five-star prep All-Americans. The, the reminder of this Duke season has been that not all prep All-Americans are created equal. And whereas if you, Tom, and I did a little retrospective on Coach K leaning on true freshmen, I mean, six years ago, it was true freshman Jalil Okafor and true freshman point guard Trey Jones and true freshman wing player Justice Winslow as three of the four best players on a Duke team that won the national title. So it's not like you can't win with true freshmen in modern college basketball, but Whereas that team had three guys who as freshmen, not someday you'll be great, but as freshmen, you'll be great. Uh, in other teams, it's been J Jason Tatum, now a star in the NBA. Marvin Bagley, first team All-ACC. Remember two years ago, it was both Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. So again, you can have true freshmen leading the way as your superstars. Those guys were all Americans as true freshmen. Last year was Vernon Carey Jr., whether it's Jalen Johnson or their point guard, Jeremy Roach, or their wing player, DJ Stewart, all of those guys were five-star signees. They all were prep All-Americans, but not all prep All-Americans are created equal. Uh, in terms of the personal part of the Jalen Johnson thing, I, I do know that that was a tricky behind-the-scenes scenario where the family did not like Coach K cutting a possible lottery picks minutes down to eight minutes in some games. So the world is different than when we were younger. And the dynamics are different than when we were younger. And if Coach K feels like he has to send a message to Jalen Johnson about not being unselfish enough with the ball, not playing hard enough on defense, and cuts his minutes, which is what coaches do when trying to send messages – in today's world, if the parents of a possible lottery pick don't like seeing his minutes dwindle to eight coming off the bench, uh, that's not exactly bolstering his draft stock. And then you end up with this collision uh, between a family that wants to do best for their son and a coach who wants to do best for his team. And in, in this case, you know, we had a result that you just had, didn't see five or 10 or 20 years ago. The guy just said, I'm out of here. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was, even though that young man did jump around high schools prior to coming to Duke, I don't know if it's as easy as saying coach K should have seen all of this coming, mm -hmm. uh, but there's no doubt we'll find out more down the road about the behind the curtain dynamics there, because I can promise you the official statements are not telling all of that story. Right. Well, and, and, and to me, Jalen Johnson had an advantage, if you will, that this happened in a COVID year because he didn't have to use the word quit. Yeah. He, he could use the phrase opt out and, and say what you want to, but spin sometimes is everything and, and not having to use the word quit. Although I think many people still call it that, Yeah, but, but publicly it was opt out. So from that standpoint, he doesn't have the word quitter attached to his name, at least maybe in his mind. Yeah. And there's a lot of speculation about whether what he did, and I can promise you, I know player, I know personnel people in the NBA who use the word quit on Jalen Johnson. Now there are others who will defend him for various reasons. It, the bottom, you know, I always use the phrase going into any draft for any player. It, it only takes one team to fall in love with you. Right. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. for all of us, flashback to your favorite co-ed classroom. If the, the only girl you had a crush on happens to be the only girl who's interested in you in return, it don't matter what all the other girls in that classroom were. Think of you, right? And it's that way with the draft. If, if 20 NBA teams 
now view Jalen Johnson differently, but one in the lottery says, you know what? I see a lot in this kid and he has an unusual skill set for six foot eight or whatever. And I know he's not a perimeter player, but maybe they like his work ethic or, or whatever else about him. It only takes one team to fall in love with you, but I will be fascinated to see where he goes because he does have tremendous skill for six, eight. But if you can't hit three pointers at six foot eight in the NBA, you better evolve your skill set, or you're not going to be a lottery pick. And, you know, that's why it's going to be a little bit of a guessing game is to see where he slots after this controversial decision to, to opt out or uh, in some people's eyes, quit on his teammates. Tom? Well, let's uh, the ACC tournament is coming up. We, we know that uh, you know, you have the automatic bid and so forth. So there's several opportunities for some other teams. It could be Duke or North Carolina. But in that vein, how important is the game coming up Saturday, Duke at North Carolina, yeah. just in terms of, you know, a win to have uh, bolster your resume just to get into the NCAA tournament. Well, Tom, I would say the Blue Devils are involved in two of the most intriguing games here in the final week of the regular season because mm -hmm. the, the Devils and Georgia Tech are both squarely on the bubble. And, of course, they play each other next. So whoever gets that win might leap to the right side of the bubble – the loser isn't dead, but probably drifts a little farther away from the bubble. And then the other one, of course, that you circle, the famous Duke-Carolina rivalry, that is Duke's last best chance prior to Greensboro, obviously, uh, to get the kind of power points that they need because Duke at this point really has only two victories over teams we know will be in the NCAA tournament. One was Virginia. One was Clemson earlier this season. Um, Georgia Tech, the Devils did beat earlier, but Tech's a bubble team. You know, Georgia, Duke did beat Syracuse, but the Orange are on the outside right now. So Duke needs a third quality win pretty badly, and Carolina provides that best opportunity because you just don't know how the bracket's going to unfold in Greensboro. You may not have an opponent that is a good enough value win to really make a difference on your resume, maybe until the, the semifinals if you get that far. We'll see. But it's been interesting. Duke has gone from, you know, far away from the bubble. I mean, this is a team that hasn't missed the tournament since 1995, and they weren't even in the bubble conversation as of a couple weeks ago. So they're playing better without Jalen Johnson. Take that for whatever it's worth. And they've put themselves in, in a decent position here where even if they beat, say, only Carolina and lose to Georgia Tech, I think they head to Greensboro – feeling like they, they've given themselves a chance, especially if they do get that win in Chapel Hill over the Tar Heels. So, Dave, who's your ACC Player of the Year? You know, I'm not sure, Dan. This is one of those years I'm going to wait to the last second. Um, player of the Year, you know, you usually start the conversation, or at least I do, who's the best player on the best team or, the you know, the top couple or few teams – and I believe Sam Hauser's the best player on UVA. I believe Raekwon Gray is the best player at Florida State. So those two guys are in the conversation for me. Uh, Justin Champagny of Pitt is leading the league in rebounding, and he's right there and might lead the league in scoring. And the list of players in this league who led the, led the conference in both of those categories, that is a pretty impressive list historically. So Justin Champagny has to be in that conversation as well. Uh, but I haven't decided. And even Coach of the Year, I mean, you could make an argument for Mike Young of Virginia Tech, but you could also make an argument for Brad Brownell of Clemson. You could make an argument for Leonard Hamilton of Florida State. And given that most of these teams still have two games left in the regular season, I'm going to take this next week and wait to see all those final results before I pull the trigger. But before Tom goes, let me follow up on, on the coach of the year thing. When, when you vote, and, and I'm talking Dave Glenn's criteria yep. and, and nobody else's, yep. do you tend to lead or le uh, lean toward a, a guy who has a great team coming back and is able and, and is expected to finish well and, and meets those expectations, managing personalities and all of those things, or do you lean towards someone who maybe coaches a team far beyond where 
they were predicted to finish like Clemson. Clemson was picked to finish near the bottom of the league, and they're going to finish yeah. in, in the top of the league. So do you lean towards Leonard Hamilton, or do you lean towards a Brad Brownell in those situations? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I need an asterisk with my answer, and here's why. <laughs> Here comes the lawyer. <laughs> I, I, I lean toward the overachiever. However, I don't lean on preseason media predictions for that because I, I just think that places too much weight on educated and sometimes uneducated guesses by media members. I look at it a little differently. What did you have back? What did you bring in? What was your schedule like? What kind of adversity did you have to fight through? Injuries or chemistry or otherwise. So I really purposely avoid putting much right now. You are going to hear for the next week. Mike Young's Hokies were picked in the bottom half of the league and they've had a really good year. Brad Brownell's Tigers were picked in the bottom half of the league and had a really good year. I throw all that to the side and I just say, Hey, you know what? Brad Brown now has only one elite player in elite in Amir Sims. He does not have a very pretty offense at all. And yet he has the Tigers playing brilliant defense and he built a non-conference resume earlier this season uh, that coupled with a fairly high conference finish. To me, that is a massive overachievement. Whoever you think Clemson's second best player is, and we could debate that, but whoever that is, that's not an elite college basketball player, right? And similarly at Virginia Tech, you know, Mike Young had nothing in the post, had some good guards coming back, but discovered, you know, in air quotes, Keve Aluma, and now he has some inside-outside balance, um, but he has coached them, I believe, beyond kind of or close to their ceiling is one way to put it. So I lean toward Brad Brownell and Mike Young, uh, but but I I've seen too many years where just the trigger give it to the guy who finished the most slots above his preseason media prediction that one makes smoke come out my ears because sometimes <laughs> one of the coaches with the best with one of the four or five best teams in the preseason has tricky chemistry or injury or the toughest schedule or whatever and is truly brilliant. And I just roll my eyes at the idea that, you know, Dean Smith or Mike Krzyzewski, two of the greatest of all time, stopped receiving coach of the year votes or awards at some point just because, you know, they typically had some of the best talent. Uh, there's a skill to squeezing every drop out of the most skilled teams, just like there's a skill to, to helping teams overachieve. Tom, One thought else? about that yeah. was the lawyer, Dad. There You're you right. go. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Kev Aluma. You, you mentioned him, and just from the standpoint that he, that folks don't know, he played at Wofford. He sat out, went with Mike Young, and then you can even look at Chavez Goodwin, who was at Wofford and played for Mike Young, and is now out of Southern California. And there are a lot of players below the ACC or Big Ten, Big Twelve that are very good players that when given an opportunity can have the kind of success that Aluma's had. Is he a guy that you think would be an all ACC guy this year? Absolutely. Positively. No doubt about it. Yes. Now where, where is he first, second or third team? You could debate that, but Keve Aluma is a great example. And I've got another one for you, Tom Carleek Jones, mm -hmm. the big, big South player of the year at Radford a year ago is Louisville's best player. And that's an NCAA tournament team. And he's a candidate for first team all ACC. He has been their heart and their soul and a fantastic two-way leader uh, on the court. So there's two examples in this league that will be among my top 15. And, you know, I would, I would, getting back to what I mentioned a minute ago, I think Nick Honor is Clemson's second best player. And I don't think he's an all ACC guy quite yet. But he is absolutely an example of this same phenomenon that you just described where, you know, it's one thing to be good at Fordham. Does that translate to the ACC? Well, it sure as heck did for Carly Jones from Radford to Louisville. It sure as heck did for Keve Aluma from Wofford to Virginia Tech. And it sure as heck did for Nick Honor from Fordham to Clemson. And Honor, I believe, is only a sophomore. So, you know, he's, he's going to do even more good things 
for the Tigers moving forward. And, and we've discussed this in the past. Everybody always thinks, of course, you recruit high school seniors. In modern college basketball, you are crazy if you don't scour the, the grad transfer wire and the major college transfer wire because we see more of those guys as all ACC contenders than ever before. Dave, quickly tell people how they can follow what you're doing out there. Yeah, Dan, thanks. On Twitter, at David Glenn Show, online, accsports.com remains our Grand Central Station, and theathletic.com is an awesome worldwide website that now has one million-plus paid subscribers. So we hope uh, you'll check out the star-studded staff of sports journalists at theathletic.com. Sounds great. As always, Dave, thank you for your time. We'll look forward to doing it again next week. Always great to start my week with y'all. Have a good one. Hey, Dave. That's Dave Glenn. We'll be back to put a wrap on things in just a moment. You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. Back to close it out, we are happy that uh, Dave Glenn was able to get back with us this week. Tom and I really enjoy our chances to chat with him. It's always good stuff, and uh, we're thankful for you as well because uh, we do this for you uh, as much as sometimes it sounds like we do it for ourselves. And, and there, there is some truth to that just because Tom and I really enjoy getting together and, and uh, actually talking sports, which you don't get on uh, many – quote-unquote sports talk shows in in these days. But uh, we, we do it, uh, some for ourselves, mostly for you, and, and we're just so thankful for your your uh, continued support. If you are a podcast listener for Grumpy Old Broadcasters, then uh, please uh, share that podcast, uh, help us grow there, and uh, let Benji know down at WZLA that, that you're enjoying it as well. Uh, podcast is brought to you by our friends at um, Todaro Pizza, Again, T-O-D-A-R-O-Pizza.com. Todaropizza.com is the website. You can find out more about them there. And then you heard, uh, podcast-wise anyway, from uh, three new sponsors this week, the Hall of Fame Sports Grill on Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville, Pickens Family Chiropractic, and Brian Dooley, my good friend there, and Ed Patterson, and uh, Ed Patterson State Farm, Cherry Dell Plaza in Greenville. Those are podcast-only sponsors, and we thank them for joining us. We will see you again next week or talk to you again next week or, or do something. We're going to be here and have some fun with it. We hope that you'll come along with us as well. Until then, for Tom and Dave, I'm Dan Scott. Thanking you for joining us and saying God bless you. So long, everybody. <laughs>